Well, we, uh, throughout this series that we've been in, we have been looking at the three specific offices that Christ occupies as the Messiah. And the first week we looked at the fact that Jesus is the preeminent prophet. We all need someone greater than ourselves to reveal God to us and to point us to him. The Bible is clear that no one seeks after God on their own. The Bible is also clear that the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit, that they're foolishness to him. So what we need, what we all need and have needed throughout every generation, is someone greater than us to clearly reveal God to us and to point us toward him. And that's what Jesus does as the perfect prophet. And we talked about the fact that he is the final and the full revelation of all that God is. And we can rejoice in that. The second part of our series, we focused in on the fact of Jesus being the preeminent priest. And Jesus, as the perfect great high priest, not only does he make the sacrifice necessary to make us right with God, but he is the sacrifice necessary to make us right with God. And because he's the perfect high priest, he saves us, not just a little bit, not partially, but to the uttermost. And he always lives to intercede for us. Now as we come to the end of our series, we're going to be focusing in on the fact that Jesus is the perfect king. That no other king before him or after will ever be what he is. He is the perfect, the complete king, the total king of everything that we need He's unparalleled. That's what we're going to talk about today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for what you've already done in our time together. Now as we turn our attention to your word, and specifically as we focus in on your son and the aspect of his kingship, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would illumine your word, that he would give us understanding and insight, that he would give us unity of mind and of heart, that we would come away challenged, encouraged, refreshed, and everything else that we need, that that would happen today, not because of anything we do or anything we have said, but because of your Spirit's work. We ask that he would freely move and work in this time and draw all of our attention in new ways to the magnificent kingship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his matchless name, I pray. Amen. Well, the, the monarchy was established in the Old Testament for Israel really for two main purposes, for the peace and the prosperity of the nation of Israel. And so the king's primary responsibilities, he had a lot of different responsibilities, but his primary responsibilities reflected that. So he was to keep his people free and safe, and if there was ever an enemy that came against them, he was to provide them overwhelming victory. He was to ensure their victory from their enemies. And the greatest of all the kings, the most beloved king of all, was King David. I mean, he's the one that all other kings were compared against. He's the one that um, the nation of Israel held up and elevated and, and still referred to as the greatest king the nation has ever had. King David was just significant in just about every level in every way. Uh, it was actually said of David during the golden age of Israel, 
that all was well. Everyone in the nation would agree, all is well. Everything's good. Everything's what we need it to be under King David. And it was said in the scripture of David that he reigned over all Israel with justice and righteousness, administering that to all his people. That's 2 Samuel 8, 15. The Bible also says this of David, that he was a man after God's own heart. Isn't that incredible? And what a thing to have said of you. You know, I, I want that said of me. Psalm eighty-nine twenty said that, that David was a man after God's own heart, that in David God found that, a man truly after his own heart. But it was a heart, nonetheless, very susceptible to sin, wasn't it? And when we see that in tragic detail connected to his sin with Bathsheba. He may have had a heart that was after God and his own heart, but it was still a human heart. It was a heart totally open to sin in the most tragic of ways, which he did. So as great as King David was, or as great as his son Solomon after him, who was the wisest man to ever live before he foolishly rejected soul worship of the one true God and decided to worship other gods. Before that happened, he was definitely the wisest man to ever live, but we see that that did not continue, unfortunately, for Solomon. But his reign was still great. It was an amazing reign. He was an amazing king. But despite all that he did, despite all that David did before him, despite Josiah and his amazing spiritual reforms, bringing Israel back to God, even though these men were incredible kings in their own right, none of them, and no other king, was able to be exactly what their people needed them to be. None of those kings could have been or were the perfect king that their people needed them to be. And for us, we need to remember that no president... No prime minister, no governor, no senator will ever be able to be the perfect leader that we need either. We need to remember that. And looking to any human that's in leadership or in a place of influence, anyone that you might respect, nothing wrong with any of that, but looking to any human being completely to be everything that you need is foolish. And it's hopeless. We don't want to put all of our hopes ever on anyone, no matter how great they might be. Because there is one and only one perfect king. Jesus is the one and only king that can meet our greatest needs. And those greatest needs, we have a lot of needs, right? I mean, let's be honest. We have a lot of different needs in our lives. But our greatest need is the need to be rescued from our sin and to have victory over our greatest enemy. Enter Jesus, the divine king, the perfect king that is able to be everything we need and to give us rescue from our sin and to give us victory over our greatest enemy, Satan. He's the only one that can do that. Let's let's look at the way he does that. First, in Colossians... In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 22, we're going to look at that. And this details for us just how Jesus rescues us from our sin, from all of our sin, our greatest 
need. Colossians 1, verse 13 says this. He, speaking of God the Father, He has delivered us, or rescued us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom, in King Jesus, the beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is our greatest need, church. No matter what else we have need of in our lives, no matter what is lacking in our lives, our greatest need is to be made right with a holy, just God. And we can never do that on our own. No matter how good we might be, no matter how much knowledge we might contain, no matter how much desire we have to be right with God, nothing we do, nothing we can lay hold of will ever make us right with God the way we need to be. It's only through Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then we go on here to find out a little bit about this great King Jesus. This is amazing, the description of Jesus, his attributes. Read, read with me, verse 15. He, Jesus, King Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. You want to know what God is like? You want to see him? Look at Jesus. He's the full revelation the full explanation, the full communication of all that God is. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That does not mean he was created or made. That's referencing his position of authority. That's his rank. That's him saying that he's first place, preeminent over everything. The firstborn of all creation, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the first to rise from the dead. The order starts with him. That in everything, he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, this is where it really gets good for you and me, and you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's all of us, that's every single human to ever live, described right there, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Hallelujah, right? No king can ever do what King Jesus did. No ruler, no one in authority, no one in leadership, no matter how great they might be, no matter how trustworthy, no matter how worthy of respect, no one can do for you and for me what Jesus did. 
That's King Jesus. That's our Savior. And what do we do if we were to have a king before us that came in right now? Let's say we we were under a monarchy. Let's say we, we had that over us. And even though we know about kings and queens, we're so far removed from especially the ancient way of going about kings and queens and monarchies. I mean, our, our connection to kings and queens is kind of in England and, you know, Queen Elizabeth. And that's not even a real monarchy. Uh, it's kind of a figurehead thing. But in the Bible, in these times, if there were a king and a queen or a queen over someone... No matter how much you might know that person, no matter how well you might know them, there was a very clear line that no one was ever able to cross. In other words, you couldn't be cavalier with your response to a king or a queen in that day, even if they were your family. You weren't able just to go right before them and give them a big hug and call them by their first name or their nickname. If you did that, you were in trouble. In this day, a king or a queen in their inner chamber, as they were sitting on their throne, if you wanted to come and speak to them and see them, you didn't go into the doors and stand before them. You were summoned. And if you weren't summoned, and you came in and you stood there in confidence before the king or the queen, chances were that you wouldn't leave alive. In that day, the king or the queen had to extend a royal scepter to you, granting you audience. And when they granted you audience, no matter how close you felt to them, you bowed as you came closer. Every time you came closer, you bowed again. And you always addressed them as my Lord the King or Her Majesty the Queen. There was just a a line that everybody understood that you didn't cross. It was one of total reverence, total respect, awe at the majesty that they held. And my friends, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, I am thrilled that in King Jesus we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I am thrilled that we have an elder brother in heaven representing us. But here's the thing that that I'm afraid we, especially here in America, forget about and allow ourselves to become kind of cavalier with, and that is our recognition of Christ's majesty. We need to remember that, yes, He is our Savior, and yes, He is the closest friend that we could ever have or want, and He invites us in to have fellowship with Him, to have a bond. But this one whom we address, this one whom we know as Savior, is the King of all the universe. And we would do well to remember that. I haven't seen it in a while. It's been a long time. But especially um, in the late 90s, early part of 2000, um, it was a very popular shirt and sticker that had a picture of Jesus. And it was a guy like with his arm around them. And Jesus was given like the peace sign. And it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And, you know, I'm not one to really wade into different things like that, slogans and and what's trendy. I mean, you know, I I typically kind of just let it be. But that always bothered me. It just never sat well with me. That's just an example of what I'm talking about. Man, Jesus is not our homeboy. Jesus is our supreme Lord. 
And he is the king over all things. I mean, that description that we just read. I mean, before all things and making all things, all things being made through him and for him and and by him, all things holding together. That means right now, the very fact that you and I are living, that blood is flowing through our veins, that we have oxygen, that our brains are functioning. It's all because Jesus is allowing it. He's holding your atoms and your molecules together right now. He's holding the earth in perfect orbit and on its perfect axis. I mean, there is just no limit to the power and the supremacy of Christ. We need to remember that. We need to honor him that way. And it's this Jesus, this King Jesus, who, as any good king would do, freed his people, rescued them from danger, and kept them safe. That's what Jesus does for us. Not only did he rescue us from the domain of darkness and ushered us into his kingdom of light and love, not only did he make us right with a holy, just God, but he also keeps us right. He keeps us saved. We couldn't save ourselves. There's nothing we could do to save ourselves and to rescue ourselves out of the clutches of sin. We needed him to do that, but we also need him to keep us saved. That's why there is such a thing as eternal security. Because it doesn't depend on me or on you to keep us right before God. The salvation we have is not up to us to keep it up. As Jesus saved us completely... He keeps us completely saved. And that's where eternal security is found. In our King Jesus. Well, not only does He rescue us and keep us safe and provide us freedom from our sin, but the other significant need we have is to be rescued from our greatest enemy, Satan. That we are powerless to defeat. That we are powerless to have victory over on our own. And so our great King Jesus comes in and he provides the victory that we all need over Satan, over all of his tactics, over all that the enemy does and all over all of his systems that are so pervasive in our world and our experience. In Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, the Apostle John writes this, Then I saw heaven opened, And behold, a white horse, which was always, in this culture, a symbol of conquest, a symbol of victory. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. If that doesn't describe Jesus, nothing else will. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God, which John told us all about in his gospel, in the prologue of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word of God, verse 14, And the armies of heaven 
arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. See, he extends his victory to us. They were following him on white horses. In verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know, not in necessarily in detail in this passage that I just read, but later on in the chapter and into verse 20, we see that this war that Jesus is making, this ride to battle, this victory that we're looking at here is none other than the final, full, eternal defeat of our great enemy, Satan. Church, he's already lost. The enemy has lost. His defeat is sure, and he will be soundly defeated. Indeed, he already has been. We win. We've already won. So when the enemy discourages you, when he causes you to doubt and to despair, when he reminds you of all that you are lacking in and all of your weakness and all the ways you fail the Lord, which, let's be honest, that there's a lot of that, right? There's many examples of that. That's true. But what you need to remember in those moments is that you are still by grace, victorious. Not because of anything you can do or anything you possess, but because of what your king has done for you. So our greatest needs to be rescued from sin and to have victory over our greatest enemy is provided for us. It's secure for us all by King Jesus. All of which we were totally helpless to do anything about on our own. Well, our response, what do we do with that, right? What is our response to be to that? Our response to Christ's perfect kingship over us and all that he does for us, which all of that was just a glimpse of. I mean, I could go on and on and on until he calls us home with detail and description over and over of all that he has done for us. But just that alone that we just read together, his perfect kingship and all he does for us, our response to that is to surrender to him in all things. To surrender to him in all things and to live for him in all things. To surrender to Him in all things and to live for Him in all things. That should be our absolute minimal response to all that He has done for us. Just like Romans 12, 1 tells us. Where Paul said, brothers, I plead with you. I, I beg you, in light of, in view of God's mercy, present yourselves to God. As a living, that means continual, perpetual sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, which is, some translations say, your reasonable act of service, or others say your spiritual act of worship. Either way, that's like the bare minimum. It's the most obvious. With all that I have received from the Lord Jesus, the King Jesus, 
my response should be nothing but total surrender in all things. Because of who he is, because of what he has done for us, we need to pursue his plans, his vision. We need to be about building his kingdom, not ours. That's what needs to drive us. His agenda, his purpose, his plans, his fame, his renown, his glory, building his kingdom, not ours. In the early 90s, Burger King, their slogan, their ad campaign was, Your way, see if you can finish it for me. What, what, what was it? Your way. Does nobody eat a Burger King? Come on. Well, that's the new one. But the other one was your way right away. That was, that was what it used to be. Have it your way works too. But the point is that was on every, I mean, every billboard, every commercial. Your way right away. Now have it your way. Burger King was just all about reminding you that with them, none of the other guys would do this, but with them, you'd have whatever you want, the way you want it, really quickly. No waiting. And man, does that not appeal to our culture, our society, our DNA, our fabric of humanity? It's what we all want. Instant, instantaneous everything. And and we want it our way. You know, that's why we all hate the DMV. Because you never get it your way, and you never get it right away. I mean, you know, I'm looking for, like, funeral homes to start selling burial plots at the DMV. I mean, because you're primed for it. While you're waiting there, you're going to die in line. Right? So, you know, but, but part of what grates on us is because we can't stand to wait for anything. And we always want it our way. That everything. We want it to be our way right away. The way we want it to be. That's the prevailing philosophy of the culture in which we live and in in which we reside. You guys remember uh, the Titanic movie that was all the rage? You know, Um, there's, there's one scene in that movie where Jack is on the bow of the ship and he's leaning over against the, the waves and the wind. And he says, I'm the king of the world. Right. And I mean, what a cheesy line and what a cheesy movie. But that's what he says. I'm the king of the world. And, you know, let's be honest. Let's be honest. We all, at some point, in any given day, fancy ourselves to be the king of the world or the queen of the world. I mean, that's, that's just part of us. That's, that's where we live. Total selfishness. Looking out for me, myself and I, we're all the president of our own fan clubs. You know, we're our biggest cheerleaders. I mean, we can really easily, naturally speaking, I mean, in the flesh, we can really easily love ourselves a whole lot. And we can really easily work really hard at setting ourselves up as the king of our own little universe. It's what we do. You know, we love to put on our little crown, right? And just... 
We, we, we want everybody to look at our crowd and say how beautiful and how wonderful. Oh, bow down before me, won't you? I mean, that's what we want. We want to be recognized. We want to be honored. We want to be lifted up. We want people to go out of their way to make us happy. We want people to go out of their way to further our cause and our agenda. But we're all deceived when we operate that way because the crown that we put on our head and that we think is just so beautiful is really nothing but a flimsy little piece of paper. That's all our crowns are. The only crown worth anything is the crown that we receive by our King Jesus. And guess what we're to do with that crown? We're not to hold on to it. We're not to keep it to ourselves. We're not to, you know, be, be like Smeagol and say, my precious. That's not what we're to do with it. We're actually given a crown so that we can give it away at the feet of our king. You know, the, the stock in the kingdom of heaven, the economy in the kingdom of heaven is so backward from our economy and the way we build up stock here on earth. It's not to amass to keep, it's a mass to give away. And we're told in scripture that one day when we are with Jesus our king and we're all prostrate before him, acknowledging his majesty, that the honor comes in having multiple crowns that we are able to lay at his feet. That's what needs to drive us. And we're so prone in our flesh individually to pursue our own kingdom and build up our own crown. We do that individually, personally, and unfortunately, we do that as a church so often. Our churches, especially in this country, are just full of example after example of people building their own kingdom as opposed to the king's kingdom. You know, and and we're so quick to point out the Catholic Church and say, oh, that's terrible. Look at all that the Pope does. Look at how corrupt that is. But my friends, it's very easy for us Protestants to have a whole bunch of Protestant popes. We have them on display in in our area right here, right now locally, could point you to many different examples of, of people that are really just Protestant popes building their own fiefdoms. And be careful about judging that because any of us can go the same way. It's within us. We have that potential. We have to guard against it. We have to fight against it. We have to surrender over and over and over and yield over and over and over to the kingship of the perfect king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why is that so important? Because we aren't the king of the world. We're not the queen of the world. No matter how much we may wish we were, no matter how much we foolishly act as if we are so much of the time, brothers and sisters, that title, king of the world, it's already held. It's already occupied by Jesus. He is the king of the world. He is the king of the universe. He is the king of glory. And yet, though all that is true, he laid it all down. He laid all that down. He set aside his crown. He set aside his royal robes. He set aside his royal and divine prerogatives, which were his by rights. And he humbled himself lower than anyone else would ever be made low or could ever be made low. Philippians 2 tells us that though being God, 
He did not consider equality with God, which he had, as something to grasp onto, but rather he emptied himself. And he made of himself nothing, taking on to himself the form of a slave. He added to his divinity, his boundless, limitless, glorious divinity, he added to that humanity. All for the purpose of being obedient to the point of death, which he did. He lowered himself lower than anyone else could ever be made low, all to bring us, his enemies, that's what we were, before Christ, before coming to him, apart from Christ, that's what we all are, enemies of Christ, enemies of the Father. But he, the king of all things, lowered himself lower than anyone else ever could, all to bring us his enemies into right relationship with himself and with the Father. And, he didn't stop there, and to elevate us to the place of honor with him. Maybe you didn't realize that, but the Bible clearly tells us that in our salvation and because of our salvation, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenlies. That's where you are right now before God. If you're in Christ, he looks at you and he, he knows you're here, obviously, physically, but he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of his son covering you. And because of that, he sees you elevated right there with Christ seated in a place of honor and a place of glory, all because of Jesus. Think about that. You know what you're like. I know what I'm like. I'm certainly not glorious on my best day. Neither are you, with all due respect. (laughs) We know what we're like. And yet, and yet, through Christ, we're made right with him. We're able to call his father our father. And we're seated in a place of honor in the heavenlies. He's the king. He's the king. I love this quote from John Calvin. He says this, all because of Jesus, who and what he is and all that he's done. We may patiently pass through this life with its misery, cold, contempt, reproaches, and other troubles, which we can all agree, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, right? I mean, life is hard. Life is tough. There's a lot of good. There's a lot of bright spots, but life is hard. This life, in this world, in this existence, cursed as it is by sin, it's hard. But we may patiently pass through this life with its misery, cold, contempt, reproaches, and other troubles. Why? How can we do that? Because we can be content with this one thing, that our King, Jesus, will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our warfare ended. We are called to triumph. Isn't that great? That's great news. That's, that's our reality, church. If you're in Christ Jesus, that's your destiny. Right there. And so as I said before, with all of this in mind, knowing all that we have in Christ, knowing all that He is for us, knowing we have access to a perfect, divine, 
prophet to completely tell us everything we need to know about God and point us to him, knowing that we have a perfect high priest who ever lives to plead for us, knowing that we have a great, perfect king that meets all of our greatest needs and raises up, us up to heights that we have no business being in. Because of all of that, oh, our response should be nothing other than total surrender of all we are and all we have. Our response should be no less than the full measure of our love and our loyalty that goes far beyond any other love, any other relationship, loyalty to to any other person, devotion to any cause. All of that should be far, far exceeded by our love and our loyalty to our great King Jesus. That should be our response. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you most of all for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that in him and him alone, we have everything we need. We have the full revelation of all that you are and all that you want us to know about yourself. We see it in Jesus. We hear about it through his words. I thank you that Because of Christ, our great high priest, we have unlimited access to you. The curtain is torn. The Holy of Holies is open to us. And in our weakness and in our failure, which is constant, we have a constant intercessor. And oh, Father, I thank you that in Jesus, the great high king, we have complete, total rescue from sin and complete victory over our enemy. Thank you for all that we have in and through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray for those who said, yeah, the Holy Spirit has brought some things to light throughout this series or through this message. I've been made aware of things that I need to deal with. Whatever it may be, however You have worked in the hearts and minds of those present. Father, I ask that you would continue just to stoke that flame. Lead them to repentance. Lead them to reconciliation. Lead them to confessing of sin. Whatever the need may be, whatever it is, help them to be obedient to your your work and your call on their life. We thank you for who and what you are, and we thank you for bringing us by grace and mercy into the court of King Jesus. And it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.